Hi friends, welcome to the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast. I'm your host, Ashwini Prasad, and in this episode, we are visiting with Michelle Thrush, who is an amazing. She is a multi-talented, award-winning Canadian actress who is Indigenous. Now, her wins are impressive. They include the Rosie, Leo, and Gemini Awards, and Catherine O'Hara from Schitt's Creek is a Gemini winner. She also starred alongside Academy Award winner Benicio Del Toro in the movie, a.k.a. Jimmy P. Michelle's credits include North of 60 and numerous First Nations Indigenous-centered content. Let's listen to Michelle and her fascinating story where she tells us in the end to shine. What a beautiful message. So be sure to take a listen. And if you like this content, leave a review. Go ahead and download, share, and subscribe. And as you know, I'm also an anti-racism and anti-oppression educator and consultant. And so if I can support you or your business in these social justice advocacy work, go ahead and contact me at theinclusivescreenwriter.com or on Instagram at the Inclusive Screenwriter. And let's see if we can create some safe spaces together. All right, folks, take a listen. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast. I'm your host, Ashwini Prasad. And today I am so excited to talk with my guest, Michelle. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. And with every introduction, I want you to tell us about you. So let us know about you. Um. Thanks for letting me come on your show, first of all. That's really nice. Uh, my name is Michelle Thrush, born and raised in Calgary, Alberta. Mokinstis is the uh, proper name of Calgary. It's uh, Blackfoot language, meaning the elbow, which is what Calgary represents with um, the river. So the Mokinstis is uh, the traditional territory that I live in. And I am Cree. And I also have some French and Scottish in me, intermingle, intermingled with all the Cree. Uh, my family comes from Treaty 4 territory in Saskatchewan, Maple Creek, Saskatchewan. And my spirit name is Good Feathers Woman. And I'm very pleased to be here today. I'm an artist. I work in film, television, and theater. And I'm an actor, a writer, and a director. And I've dedicated my whole life to the arts. Yes, yes. And as we were talking about earlier, you started in this industry when you were 17. Mm -hmm. So my goodness, that is absolutely amazing. And thank you for honoring where you are. I'll also honor where I am. And so I want to recognize the largest body of ocean of water that is around me, which is the Pacific Ocean. And then I also want to honor that I am on the Wapatu and Tualatin lands. And um, I really don't like this name, but it is called the Native Land App. And that is an app that's out there where you can put in an area of how it's currently known and it will tell you the indigenous name. And so I think that is a, an amazing app for everybody to have. It's also Vancouver is the home of the um, Slaylatooth um, people in the Squamish mm -hmm. and uh, Calgary. Mokinsis is the home of the Blackfoot Nation, uh, the Sutana and the Nakota Stoney. Oh, amazing. Amazing. 
Yes, thank you so much for that, Michelle. And she is talking about Calgary, Alberta and Vancouver, BC in Canada. And I grew up in both of those cities like we were talking about before we came on, we started recording. So Michelle, let's dig a little deep. We were discussing before beforehand that you have a history um, in terms of where you were born and how you've been able to move around in this industry. So, so tell us a little bit more um, about your how you got how you got to this industry and growing up wow where do I begin <laughs> I say the same thing <laughs> right um so I was born in Calgary and I have a very complicated childhood both of my parents were chronic alcoholics and it was really um it was the only life I knew as a child um but there was a lot of shame attached to that. I would go to school and I'd usually be the only brown kid in the school a lot of times here in Calgary because it was so conservative. And I mean, there was barely any Asian kids. There was barely, um, like, it was just really, really rare to see like a black kid and native kids were sprinkled here and there, but it wasn't, it wasn't uh, that common. And uh, so I uh, remember as a kid, having to deal with a lot of racism in Calgary and a lot of shame being an Indigenous child. And I really attached my identity to a lot of negative things like um, obviously drinking with my parents and my family and, and you know going with my mom and dad either to Saskatchewan or down to Six to see family. And there was always a lot of drinking. And I always thought this is a part of who I am as an Indigenous person. So I can remember just thinking, I don't, I wish I was white because I thought all white kids would come home after school and their mom would be waiting with, you know, the perfect dress and the, the fresh baked cookies and, and everything was perfect in their homes. That's what I thought. Obviously yeah. that's not true, but there was a lot of shame that I had identified with, with being Indigenous because my parents didn't have the tools to be able to teach me anything good. Anyways, so I was the kid on the block that was always trying to get all the kids together to do plays. And I loved using theater uh, as a way of escaping, I guess, my home life. I would I can remember at my friend's house putting a sheet up, two sheets up on their clothesline in the backyard. And then, you know, there was the middle and I would come walking through and, and I'd pretend I was on Broadway and I was this big actress. But the reality of that was I didn't see myself on television. I didn't see anybody that looked like me. I saw white people with makeup and wigs and, and you know, pretend buckskin I saw, you know, white women running from a teepee, you know, with their wig on and their makeup and they, you know, oh, save me. And the white man would come and save her. And, and you know, on a, on a level that again was, was adding to the compounded shame that I felt, you know, what, of seeing white people playing us. And we were always the losers. We were always being killed or looking stupid with a, you know, ugh, here I am. And so even though I loved acting, there was a, I guess, a part of me that was like, as if you could ever be an actor, because there are no, there's no native people on television. And this was when I was quite young. And, and then I saw Chief Dan George in Little Big Man. I was like, oh, oh my gosh, that, that, that looks like a real Indian. <laughs> I was like, wow, that sort of gave this small little crack, you know, of what 
maybe, maybe I could be an actor on television. And then uh, I remember Running Brave came out with uh, Robbie Benson, who was Jewish, playing the, you know, the lead Native character. But, but there was some other actors in there that had little tiny bit roles. And that was Graham Greene, Tantu Cardinal. There was always these little tiny bit roles of Indigenous people. And, and I would just be in awe right? And Beachcombers came out and I was like, oh, there's actually a regular Native actor on there. But anyways, it was a role that has an actual role. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of slowly kept opening the door for me. So when I ended up, I went to, I did drama at Boyness High in Calgary. And I got into a play called A Heaven Can Wait. And I had five lines and I was playing an angel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is all non-Native people. And I was um, so excited to get that role. And it was my first real taste of what that feeling of everybody contributing to the story. You know, this family um, wardrobe and props and actors and, and the director. And we're all contributing to lift this story up. And it felt like a family. And it felt like something that I didn't know. Because I didn't fit in anywhere in, uh, like... I just didn't fit in with people and I was a bit of a, a recluse. And uh, yeah, so that was my first taste of drama. And uh, I can remember on opening night after, you know, six weeks of rehearsal or whatever it took for us to get there. And I was, I had my, my sheet, my white sheet, cause I was playing an angel <laughs> yep. and I had these wings and I had my five lines and I just kept pacing back and forth on stage, you know, making sure everything was where it was supposed to be. And all the actors are really nervous and we're all like, you know, doing our warmups. And I go and I look through a little crack in the, and there was a little um, hole in the curtain, the cloth curtain. And I kept peeking in it, seeing the audience. And I was so excited. But then I, I noticed there was a bit of a lull in the audience and things, the chairs weren't moving anymore. And I was like, what's going on out there? I went and peeked and my mom and dad walked into the gym. Mm. and they were drunk and it was horrifying I knew everybody knew it was my parents mm -hmm. I knew everybody knew they were drunk because I could tell from even just from you know really far away the way they were walking the way they were dressed and it was really painful for me and embarrassing and I thought I don't want to do this I want to just take off and run and leave this this play because I don't want to deal with this but then I knew if I didn't do those five lines that it would screw up the next scene. And so I stuck it out and I came out on cue and I did my five lines the best I could. And then I talked, walked off stage and I took off and I ran down the hall and I hid underneath these stairs and I just sat there and I cried. And I was like, how could you guys do this? You know, like, how could you guys ruin my big night? After the play was done, I could hear the audience clapping and I was like, huh, okay, well, they like the play. I'll just stay here. I'm not going to go out there and see, you oh, know, how to meet up with my parents. And my, I heard these steps coming down the hall and uh, it was my, my drama teacher. And he must have seen, you know, part of my white sheet hanging out. I don't know, but he found me. He crawled sure. under those steps. Oh, wow. That with me. And he said, I know that was your mom and dad. And I know you're embarrassed right now. And I was like, yeah. And he said, but you need to understand that your parents were drunk. I get that. And I understand now why you are a certain way you are with how you, you handle yourself. Because there's so much embarrassment that's attached to that as a kid. He said, but you need to understand that's got nothing to do with you. Mm, and that was the first time. 
yeah, first time anyone told me that. And then he also said, and at the end of the play, your mom led the standing ovation. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was my first taste of acting. So Michelle, thank you so much for sharing that. You were incredibly vulnerable and uh, I really do appreciate you telling us, you know, such a huge part of yourself and as talent and as an actress, I can imagine that's what you're doing constantly. So really quickly, I want to, some of our folks that are listening aren't from Canada. So you mentioned some of those shows where you were finally seeing as a child, as a young adult, uh, Indigenous representation. What are your first memories of actual content where you were seeing Indigenous folks uh, actually being represented in the content you were watching? Oh, well, like I said, I, I think um, Chief Dan George was, you know, a big influence on me when I was a kid, watching um, Little Big Man, which was one of my favorite movies. The humor was so good. Yeah. And, um, and definitely Beachcombers um, with uh, the, that Pat character. He was, he was the native guy in it. Um, it wasn't, I mean, again, as a youth, it was so far and few between that we were able to actually see anybody in the film industry that represented us. Um, when we did, it was often very, you know, it was like, it was like seeing Sasquatch. It was like, whoa, that was a native person. Oh my goodness. And, yeah, so, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, Chief Dan George was nominated for an Oscar, and I remember that. Yeah. And I remember when Marlon Brando, I don't know if I, I didn't actually see when he refused to pick up his Oscar that one time when he was nominated and he sent um, an Indigenous woman to go pick it up. Yeah. But I remember seeing that later in my life and just being like, wow, that's, that's amazing. So. Yeah, that's solidarity. Yeah, I can totally relate to what you were saying. Like when I would see a South Asian on television, because they were far and few between growing up, it would be like, you know, double take. <laughs> like I'd be like, wait, what? Oh my goodness. Okay, I got to pay attention. <laughs> to and they were usually stereotypes too, which was really, you know, <sighs> seeing South Asian women very stereotypically. Yeah. As well as indigenous. Yeah. Because yeah. it was being told through the lens of usually white males, right? So exactly. that was uh, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, as talent, you're speaking these lines were written by a script through the director's vision. So there's very little autonomy. There's very little like, yes, this is the way it should be. And then also there's limited opportunities. You know, if folks aren't writing or the stories aren't coming from us, then there's this is what's available to us, which are really horrific, stereotypical portrayals, which doesn't serve anybody. So thank you for sharing. We're now at about 17. You're kind of in high school. You got the acting bit. You got, you know, your drama teacher. And I have a similar story of how drama influenced me and a teacher. What led you to be like, okay, let me see if I can pursue this as a career, whatever career means when you're in your early teens. Right. What led you to that? Well, I was going to Buenos High where I did that, that play and I was, it was a public school system school and I ended up getting into two fights that year. Even though I was accelerating in drama, I was failing in everything else. Mm -hmm. And the last fight I got into, I remember the girl walked by, she shoved me and called me a squaw and we started fist fighting right in front of the office and the principal came out and broke us up and he was just like, Michelle, this can't keep going on. You can't keep doing this. And I'm like, 
I never start these things ever. <laughs> I'm just right. re reacting to racism, basically. Right. And uh, he made it clear to me that I wasn't, that type of behavior wasn't wanted at that school. And so I ended up um, sort of getting the boot. And then I got, that's when my whole life changed. And I went to a school here in Calgary called the Plains Indian Cultural Survival School. And this is in the 80s, the first of its kind in Canada. And it was a school that was built to keep Indigenous youth in the school system because we have such a huge dropout rate. Mm -hmm. And it really focused on cultural awareness as well as academics, but mostly on cultural awareness. So I got, I went, I spent grade 10, 11, and 12 in that school. And if it wasn't for PICS, which is what it's called, uh, I probably would never have made it through the school system. And I probably would have my life would have been absolutely different because of the shame and the, the pain and all of the things that were placed upon me to make me think I was inferior to white people. And uh, so going to PICS, I learned a lot about my culture, but they, uh, I also made it very well known to all the students in the class, the staff, everybody that I love drama and they didn't have a drama class. So I tried my best to get a drama class started and then I failed. But in the attempts of doing that, my principal got a call from a film production in Edmonton and they were looking for a 17 year old indigenous actress. And my, my team and I like, we have one in the school. You got to come see her because all she talks about is acting. So they came down from Edmonton and they auditioned me in the math room and I got this role and I went to Edmonton and shot it and then just was like, wow, I love acting, but I also want to be a social worker. I want to do something that's going to make, you know, the world a better place for children and, you know, growing up with alcoholism in my family. I just wanted to do something that was going to make a difference. And acting still wasn't a part of that because I still didn't see any real Indigenous stories on television. So, um, Anyways, doing that role, and then I did another role. Um, the same casting director called me, and she's like, I, there's another role. I want you to read for it. So I did it, and I got it. And then I met this man named Gordon Tatusis, and Gordon was a legend. Is you know We lost him in uh, 2011, 2012. Mm -hmm. But he, I met him. I was 17 years old. Wow. Uh, he said to me, he said, if you want to be an actor, Michelle, you, you got to do it you've got to be true to yourself. And I was like, really? Well, what do I need to do? And he said, well, move to Vancouver, get mm -hmm. an uh, get some headshots. I can introduce you to people out there to help, you know, help you. And so I made my mind up and I graduated grade 12 and I moved to Vancouver and Gordon set me up with my agent. He set me up with people there to know this was in 1989. And I remember the first year I wasn't getting any auditions. I was working in restaurants. I was not like, there just wasn't anything. Sure. And then it was around uh, 92 when Dances with Wolves was casting. And I can remember, I didn't get a role in it. I read for it, but, but that's what really opened up the door for um, the Indigenous a world of film and television and after that there was more stories and it became a commodity I guess to, mm -hmm. to to start doing indigenous stories I got onto a show called North of 60 which is a big show here in Canada 
huge show. Yeah, I, when I was like, what? This is amazing. How was your experience on North of 60? Oh, it was wonderful. It was, first of it was being shot just outside of Calgary. So I got to come home to, mm-hmm. to do it. Um, and it was like a family. I was on the second season. I did a guest star and then I didn't come back till the last two seasons as um, for those of you who've ever seen the show, Tom Jackson played the chief and his sister, Tina Keeper was a cop. And I played in the second season, um, Tom's character and my character who were both married, had an affair. And I was like the other woman, and <laughs> Tina Keeper's character shot my husband Oh, <laughs> you know drama and uh anyways, then they brought me back in the last two seasons tom and or his character uh his character and, and his wife were breaking up and she knew about me so it was a big controversy and lynx river was like oh sylvie labrezzo you know husband stealer and anyways, <laughs> it was fun it was so much fun and it was such a family and it was such a great crew you know, Tina was such a generous lead. She was the first Indigenous lead character on television, uh, her and Tom. And she was so generous. And it was just, you know, everybody knew everybody. And I was in my 20s. And, you know, it was yeah. like such a fun time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I remember that show. Absolutely. So we see a lot of talent, you know, on screen. I'm wondering, because you mentioned the production crew, what was the ethnic makeup? Of the of the production crew, wait. <laughs> Interesting. I yeah. had to ask. I had to ask. Okay, so we have a white production crew in Canada, and a very indigenous focused cast uh, on screen. Yeah, in Calgary. Every now and then, I, I you know there was like Jordan Wheeler was in the writing room. He was, uh, I believe, story editor he was indigenous so that was awesome and they did a lot of consulting with the communities up north andrew reggett and them and um you know um tom dent cox the producers all were were really open people and they did a lot of consulting with uh with the dene people so it's not like you know it was it was a it was one of a kind at that at that point and not something that was really common with uh with films yeah the consulting that's huge and i'm glad 30 plus years ago they had the mindset to do that and really try to have authentic stories because what i have found and it's becoming in vogue more but in the past so much of these stories like you were mentioning earlier coming from these tropes or harmful stereotypes from people's imagination of what a group is is what we end up seeing on screen instead of hey let's actually talk um, from uh, to a member of this group and, or many people from this group and let's see what the commonalities are and share this human story mm-hmm. and we can learn from that that's for sure mm-hmm. well I think you're being just a little shy about all of your accolades and the people that you have worked with so I want to share with our listeners who who you are <laughs> and all the wonderful things that you've done so gosh i was l- looking at your list of awards what was it when you won a gemini award uh and this is a big deal in canada i mean my goodness but you're in you're in great company because Catherine o'hara from Shits creek has won a gemini award and you have won a gemini award so help me understand and help our listeners understand you know this wonderful career that spans so many decades and I want you to be able to share all of your 
awards and accolades and what that felt like when you were uh, one getting that Gemini and so many awards and also being alongside an Academy Award winner. I have to ask. <laughs> Which Academy Award winner? Exactly. I want to know them all. I, I want. I want to give you the, sh the opportunity to brag, Michelle, because you, um. your accolade, <laughs> your your talent is just frankly amazing, and I want to be able to share that with the listeners. Well, thank you. I don't. I just see it as um, honestly. I'm an artist trying to get my next gig. <laughs> like I don't look at it like you do. But thank you. Um, yeah, winning the Gemini was amazing. Um, I didn't even know what a Gemini was. Like, mm -hmm. to be honest with you, it's not like it was our first season of a show I started on called Blackstone, which was indigenously produced, directed, and acted. So, it, I mean, it, it, yes. it came a long way from North of 60. Yes. So back in tw 2009, um, I was working on a show called Mixed Blessings, which was a, a comedy TV series. I started on that. And the producer of it, uh, Ron Scott, said, hey, I got this new script coming up. We're doing a pilot. I want you to uh, check it out. And, and so I, um, anyways, I got the role of uh, Gail Stoney on there. And there was, um, you know, two of us women starring in it who were both in our 40s. And so that was a huge thing just to, mm -hmm. you know, say that right off the bat normally you know the leads of any shows are 25 and it's not a lot of space left for women in their 40s so when we both uh, did that show Carmen Moore and myself it was a huge thing also um, so we played sisters on there and uh, so the first season came out and I was uh, playing a chronic down and out alcoholic and I've never been an alcoholic in my life but I studied it very close with my family uh, I knew the, you know, the pain of it. I knew the, you know, the humor that a lot of alcoholics have because of their, you know, masking their pain. And I created this character. She was a big part of who my, my mom, my aunties, my grandmother, my, my cousins. She was a, a bit of all of these women in my life. And she was just this really, really hurt soul. And, uh, but so full of funny comments and she always made people laugh but you know she was so hurt mm -hmm. and the first season we shot it and I remember we were getting ready to go into our second season and Gordon Tatusis was starring in it too and he started my whole career and we'd done many films together since the, you know he started my career and we'd done some theater together and he's he was like a father to me and so um, there'd been a few shows that we'd worked together on but this particular show Blackstone he was my 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 anchor in the show he was the one that was really trying to get me to sober up and um i can remember we were getting ready to go into season two and i get a call from the producers that gordon had passed away and it was really painful really really hard on all of us and i mean like even the scripts had him in every script so the writers had to go into you know double time to try and figure out how to recast or change the stories and we were all in a lot of pain and we only had a few weeks till we went to camera and we started to shoot season two and I can remember it was a day off I was sitting in my hotel room going over my lines or something for the next day and um, the producer Jesse Samansky she calls me up and she's like hey you've been nominated for a Gemini I was like what 
what is that? Is that's that's like a big award, right? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. And so I didn't. It wasn't like a. It wasn't like a, a big goal of mine to be nominated. It was just like, oh, that's cool. So we got through the second season, and I remember we wrapped, and I had like three days to prepare to go to Toronto for the awards. So I asked Jesse to be to come with me as my date, my producer. And I approached Gordon Tatusis's daughter, Disa, and I said, listen, um, I, I'm wondering if you would resurrect your career in uh, designing clothes, because she was a designer and she kind of put her career aside a few years before that. Yeah. And I said, I would love for you to design me a dress for the awards. Mm. It's like, oh, I would love to. And I said, and if, like, there's a one in a million chance I'll win, but if I win, you know, I want to dedicate it to your dad. And she's like, Oh, I would love that. So she came down to set while we were filming and did my measurements and picked out the material and made me a beautiful dress. And I can remember being on the red carpet at the Gemini's with, uh, with Carmen. And we're walking along and, and they do this thing where, you, you know, there's these women in front of us and these women behind us and you stop and, and you talk to entertainment tonight and then you move to the next and you talk to, you know, whoever's there. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, where'd you get your dress? And the women in front of me were like, oh, I picked it up in New York. You know, it's Gucci or whatever, right? <laughs> All these rings were flown in from Paris. And sure. I was just like, oh, wow, oh, wow. And I'm, you know, I'd never been to anything like this in my life. And uh, next thing, you know, the, the microphone's in my face. And I'm like, you're up for best actress tonight. Where'd you get your dress? And I went, Disa Tutusis, Poundmaker First Nation, Saskatchewan. And they were like, oh. <laughs> and these earrings are Savage Rose, you know, like right. it was all indigenous and oh, I so love that was fun. And uh, my whole, my whole point, like when I found out I was going to the Gemini's, I, in my brain, I'm like, oh, I'll never win. We're, you know, season one of a show that's low budget. We are on APTN, which, you know, not a lot of people see. And it's an Indigenous show. And I'm up against these beautiful white women who have been on television forever. And they're backed up by these huge broadcasters. But I'm going to go to the Geminis and I'm going to have fun. And I'm going to meet George Strombolopoulos. That was my goal. <laughs> I'm going to track that guy down and I'm going to meet him and I'm going to make him marry me. Anyway. Absolutely, right? Exactly. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I ended up meeting him and I was like, wow. But um and then to top it off, um, the show starts, my kids are at home with my mom. My parents were both sober, you know, they'd sobered up years ago. Yeah. Uh, my dad had just passed the year before, passed away. And so my mom, um, she had my daughters who were still little and they were watching it on CBC and I'm in the audience, you know, and I'm like, hi girls. And then my category comes up and, and they announce my name. I'm like, I was stunned. I was like, like, honestly, I kept thinking, well, when they announce that other woman's name, I'm going to do, I'm going to be that actress. It's like, oh, good for her. You know, when they put the camera on you and you're like, oh, good for her. but when they announced my name, like, honestly, I didn't even have a speech written. I was so shocked. And if you ever watch that clip of me getting my award, you'll see, I was stunned. Wow. And I did dedicate it to Gordon and, uh, it was a it was a huge game changer in my career for sure. Absolutely, and uh, to have kind of Gordon's spirit there after he's the one that gave you ch that chance, and to work alongside of him and honor him, wow, that's amazing. Full circle. 
Yeah, definitely full circle. That's a beautiful story. So tell us a little bit about those Academy Award winners that you've worked alongside. Uh, again, you're going to have to remind me of which ones. <laughs> Del Toro is one. Oh, Benicio. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Benicio won an Oscar, hey? Yes. He's, um, a Benicio is an, oh, he's an amazing person. We, uh, we worked together a lot on um, a film called Jimmy P. Yeah. Uh, um, the director was uh, from Europe, from Paris, a really well-known director over there. Um, um, Armand Desplechon was his name. Mm-hmm. And he cast me as uh, Benicio's sister. And we shot a lot in Michigan. And that was, I think, 2014. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in there, but we shot a lot in Michigan and then we shot down in Montana and uh, we ended up our film was um uh in Cannes uh yeah. Cannes like it was in yeah for, uh, so in that um, role were you playing I haven't seen the movie yet were you playing a non-indigenous person no I was playing okay I was playing a Blackfeet Indian and Benicio was playing an Indian oh wow was, I mean, but he's Puerto Rican, so it's not like, I don't know. I, I just think he's got to have indigenous blood in him. But he, he was so cool. He was such a nice guy. And we played brother and sister. And it was a true story about a Blackfoot, a Blackfeet man who, um, whose name was Jimmy Picard. And he was in the, our, the war. And it's, it's an interesting story. Yeah. Would you have wanted an uh, more of an authentic person to play alongside were you or were you okay with del toro's casting in that role um that's a tricky question because i sat down with uh, the director and talked about that and i just said what why did you choose benicio like i love benicio he's a great actor and um for from from his point of view he said you need to have an actor who can bring in the money and and the clout Mm-hmm. Uh, to be able to get the producers to sign on right so um he he said you know I could have gone with somebody like you know Adam Beach or Eric Schwag who are great actors who are indigenous he said but I just I needed somebody who had that you know that uh four-star quality I guess so yeah it was it was probably you know a difficult choice for Benicio but the beautiful thing is Benicio um you know, he comes from Puerto Rico. I'm sure he has indigenous blood in him in a different way than North American indigenous people, the Tiano mm-hmm. people. He, um, and he was so kind and generous. And I brought him to the Sundance when we were down in, on the reserve, on the reservation in Montana, we shot on a reservation down there, the Blackfeet. We were down there for a week or so. And, um, you know, he came to Sundance. He, he was so, generous in spirit and kind and humble and good he was a good human being and very willing to understand and to learn and yeah so but yeah that's great so as we start wrapping up here what advice would you give someone especially indigenous folks who want to pursue a career similar to yours what's one piece of advice you'd want to give folks well, I do a lot of work with uh, Indigenous youth. I have um, a couple characters that I travel with. One is an old woman named Cookum Martha. Cookum means grandmother in Cree. Mm-hmm. And I do comedy with her and I work with a lot of youth. And I, you know, I talk about all kinds of wonderful things that inspire our youth. 
And I have another character that's a clown and I work with children, with little children. And her name is Majika, the indigenous healing clown. So I've been using that to influence young people for over 20 years. I've been working as a, a speaker in community. And that to me is my number one priority is working with, with young up and coming actors, young up and coming human beings, you know, even if you're not in the arts. And um, I just, I think for me, um, I would say that we have been doing this for thousands of years. Being an actor is not something that we just stumbled upon as, as a people. We have been storytelling and using oral tradition. And that's exactly how we've been teaching our children and our, our you know, grandchildren is through the, the use of storytelling and building imagination and taking you know, young little children on these journeys that, you know, they would listen to the elders speaking and they would be transported into another world. And that to me is the same thing that I do as an actor. Um, being able to use your heart to, to um, affect people. And so I think when I work with youth, I just often say, you know, a lot of times we're told in our, well, first of all, our parents did the best that they could with the tools that they had. I'm not a person to be a victim, you know, but my parents did the best they could with the tools that they were given. And a lot of times we are told when we're young that, you know, we're not good enough. Society tells us that our parents can tell us that our peers can tell us that and we end up closing our light down. Mm -hmm. So my biggest advice is always to, you know, know what that light is inside of you and just allow that to shine, you know, give yourself permission to be exactly who you are. This business is not about, um, you know, being perfect or looking a certain way. It's about how unique you look and what your stories are and, and how beautiful those stories are. I wish when I was, um, you know, a kid that there was more people that could have told me that because it, it, you know, the small amounts of um, goodness that I was, that I would receive here and there, you know, that you're a good kid, that you're beautiful, that, you know, your parents being alcoholics is not your fault. It's got nothing to do with you. Those were the tiny morsels that I would take and I would just hold on to them. And, and it allowed me to change the direction of my life. You know, we don't understand when we talk with children or with youth that, it could be one little sentence that could change their whole lives, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just think shine that light, you know, allow the world to know how beautiful you are because nobody else has what you have. Obviously, yeah. you know, that's cliche, but it's the truth. The truth. That is absolutely beautiful. So along those lines, what's a call to action you would have for all of us to be more inclusive in our lives? Well, understand the land you're on. You know, first of all, this land that we are here upon is, you know, it's been an indigenous land for thousands of years. And so I'm artistic director now of a theater company here in Calgary called Making Treaty 7. And it's all about exploring the land and the stories and, and the places that we live. And I would love to see, you know, Making Treaty 4, Making Treaty 6. You know, British Columbia is unceded territory, so it's a totally different thing over there. But I mean, understand the land you're on, understand that, you know, life didn't begin when colonization happened here. For us, that's when, you know, things got shut down, obviously, but we as Indigenous people are survivors and we're resilient. And there's a lot of stories that, you know, we have 
that are, are uh, that are just amazing. So um, yeah, I would say that. Agreed. How can folks connect with you, Michelle? Well, I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, um, I do have an Instagram account, Ms. Thrush, and I have a Twitter account, uh, Ms. Thrush. So you Perfect. can check those out. Uh, or you can check out our website too at makingtreaty7.com if you want to know more about the theater that we're doing right now. I'm still doing film and television, but I am. Um, I've got such a deep love for theater that uh, I'm focusing on that right now. Oh, I do love the theater as well. Michelle, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and all the wonders that you've provided. Not, I can't even say little gems. They're just so bright, just like you said about shining the light. So thank you so much for being here. You're absolutely amazing. I can't wait to see you and so much more. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you too. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.